1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hang on the Holy Land Land Grant, Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh Dooley. Coming off a one-week hiatus on the podcast here, I was on vacation last week, but the Josh and the rest of the Land Grant boys have been holding down the site while I was gone. Josh, how are you doing on this fine Wednesday evening?
0: I'm um, doing good, man. Ready to talk some ball. Good to have you back. Had a, a nice one-week reprieve but uh, not too much going on, so I think we'll pick up right where we left off.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's crazy to think that it's already August 10th. The season is less than a month away. The Buckeyes are back on the practice field getting ready for the season. There's a lot going on on the field in recruiting. We're doing our Big Ten previews still, so an exciting time for the podcast, an exciting time for Ohio State football fans, and just fans of college football alike. You know, there's tons of news going around with different media deals and all the like, but it really feels like we're starting to get into the real college football season. It is right around the corner. It's nuts to think about. I feel like the summer just flew by
0: it, it did you're right and it's it's starting to feel real to me you know camps have started you get to hear about position battles whether it's at Ohio State or elsewhere starting to look at schedules this that, and the other we're getting deeper and deeper into these previews so it's uh, what a time to be alive, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. I, and I'm certainly excited. I know you are as well. Uh, before we get into our, you know, a continuation of our Big Ten previews as we continue to get ready for the season, going to touch on all the recruiting happenings that have surrounded Ohio State since we've been gone since our last podcast. Uh, so we'll start with the new commitments. We'll start with the, the good news uh, on that side of the football on the recruiting side. Uh, First of which was the linebacker Arvell Reese. Uh, We've talked about him a bunch here on the podcast. Gives Ohio State a much-needed linebacker in the 2023 class. Reese is the number 20 linebacker in the country and the number 7 player in Ohio out of Glenville. And then the second commitment uh, was quarterback Brock Glenn. Ohio State finally gets their quarterback in 2023. We know Ryan Day likes to keep that room stocked, especially with you know CJ Stroud almost certainly gone after this year. Add some more depth to that room. He's the number 17 quarterback in the cycle and the number eight player out of Tennessee. So two new guys added to the fold for Ohio State's now. Um, as of this moment, number three class in the country. And, you know, two important positions there. We know Ohio State wanted to get a quarterback in this class. They get that done. And Reese is one of what will hopefully be at least two linebackers in this class, if not more. Uh, but, you know, two really good ads in that spot and two guys that, we, you know, we've talked about a little bit in the past year and two guys that are, are going to be, you know, important parts of this class moving forward.
0: Yeah, really excited about Reese first and foremost. We've talked about Ohio State's need at linebacker with a couple swings and misses there. I, I really like Reese's potential. You know, he's six three and a half, 220 He's got experience playing off the edge. So he sounds like a great uh, Jack or Leo profile. And that Cleveland-Glenville pipeline opening back up. They've had the, uh, the guys in the past, Troy Smith, Dante Whitner, Ted Ginn Jr., uh, players like that. And they've got Bryce West, I think. Huge 2024 corner. So if they can keep that relationship going, only good can come of that. And, yeah, you needed at least one linebacker. I'd like to see them add a second but I really do like Reese as a potential like upside guy. And then Glenn, it, you know, with him, I think that there's a misconception out there by some, not all, that he was almost kind of like a throw-in or an add-on. And yes, he's the 336th ranked player in his recruiting class right now, but he's the number 17 quarterback. He was offered by LSU, Auburn, Florida State. So, Ohio State wanted a quarterback in this class. I'm not saying that Brock Glenn was at the top of their list, but they weren't going to settle because Rayola in 2024, nothing is certain. It's not like they brought this guy in as a depth piece in case everyone else fails. They're going to bring him in, hopefully, you know, to compete and develop. And I like his game. He's got a little bit of mobility, enough arm strength, all that good stuff. So, yeah. Maybe not the biggest need in the world, but I think Brock Glenn was a good get and it just it keeps the continuity going. Recruiting class to recruiting class, always having a high end quarterback come in, develop with the other guys and then the cream rises to the top. So I I think eventually he'll have a chance, whether that's in 2024, 25, something like that, because, like I said, there's so much uncertainty at really every position, but even more so now with the transfers and the NIL and stuff like that. So good to bring him in and get him into the fold.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you said it. You know, Not every quarterback could be these four- and five-star prospects like Ohio State's been bringing in so frequently. They do currently have Kyle McCord and Devin Brown already in the roster. You mentioned Dylan Raiola, the five-star, coming into 2024. So you like to have depth in that room. Like you said, now in the era of NIL, kids are transferring all over the place, especially a quarterback where you can only have one on the field at any given time. So having more and more really talented guys with upside in that room is certainly a plus. And if there's anybody I trust right now to develop quarterbacks at this level, it would, of course, be Ryan Day um that being said you know we we talk about the positives here there have been some negatives um we talked about in our last podcast some of the you know the troubles on the defensive side of the ball with ohio state missing out on commits However, recently, uh, the issues have stemmed to decommitments. There was two since we last spoke. The first being um, Ty Lockwood, which is kind of a, a surprising decommitment. He was initially the first member yeah. of Ohio State's 2023 class. Um, he has since flipped to Alabama, and you know, for me personally, it makes already seemingly the, the already seemingly non-existent job of Kevin Wilson look even worse. Since this is his position, and this is you know a, a big not big player in this class, a guy that was one of the the first guy in this class. I know they just brought in Jelani Thurman, but there's you know been some rumors about his commitment not being so steady either. So kind of a tough look for Kevin Wilson there. And then on the other side of the ball, Ohio State lost Dijon Johnson, the four-star cornerback, decommitted on July 30th. Uh, Originally, it looked like he would end up in-state at Florida, but there have been some rumblings recently that he could end up back at Ohio State. So Remains to be seen what will happen there. Obviously, Ohio State still has other cornerbacks on the, you know, in this current class, but Johnson was the highest-rated uh, highest sorry, of the bunch. So that's, that's a big loss, especially with Ohio State reeling a bit on the defensive side of the ball in this recruiting class. You know, Before the addition of Reese, they've been missing out on some of those top guys. They still have some big targets out there, but to lose a guy like Dijon Johnson certainly hurts. So if somehow they are able to reel him back in, that would certainly be great. But losing Ty Lockwood is not great either, and, and if they aren't able to bring back Johnson, that's a big loss on that side of the ball too.
0: It is. I like Dijon. I hope that I hope Ohio State's still in it. There's been a lot of back and forth, a lot of rumors out there, which I don't think you or I want to or are going to get into. But it sounds like there is a possibility that, you know, he could still consider Ohio State or will down the road. So I think that's a TBD. If he does go elsewhere, big loss, top 10 corner, uh, another Florida guy. But We'll see on that one. As far as Lockwood goes, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Kevin Wilson has been bringing a lot to the table as a recruiter. That being said, I'm not going to kind of fault him here on this one because, yes, Ty Lockwood was the first guy in the class, a top 10 tight end, but if you really read enough things, it sounded like if Alabama ever came knocking, that was going to be a school that Ty Lockwood would consider and consider strongly. They came on a little bit later than Ohio State did, made the offer, and it sounded like it was a quick flip. If he always had Alabama in the back of his mind, then I think it's it's hard to come down on Kevin Wilson too hard because, you know, You win some, you lose some, and if a guy has a school in mind and they come and they make an offer a little bit later, you can't—it sounds like Ohio State may have been fighting a losing battle. They just didn't know it, right? It kind of seemed like it was a surprise, but you know, I read quite a bit about it, and it seemed like Alabama was always in the background, at least, for Ty Lockwood. So it is what it is. I think if they hang on to Thurman, they're set at tight end. It's not like they— They use these guys too, too much. And Jelani Thurman is a crazy athlete. I think he's even ranked higher than Lockwood now, or they're like back to back. So it's not like they lost a great player and they're settling for Thurman. Those two guys were neck and neck. I like his athleticism. So as long as they keep one in the class, I'm not too worried about it. What is really sort of a bummer for me is we keep losing the guys to Alabama and I get it, right? Alabama has 100 national titles. They've got Nick Saban. I don't fault anybody for choosing Alabama over Ohio State. I I, I really don't. And that's just being fair. But between uh, the offensive linemen, Olaus, who I, I, I don't want to butcher his last name. I can't think of it right now. Caleb Downs, Ty Lockwood, Richard Young, even. That's four guys who Ohio State, they were in it at, until the end. So I look at it like, look, Ohio State was in a two or three horse race until the end and they lost out to Alabama. Sometimes you just can't do anything about it. Uh, You're you're fighting against Goliath. And so I I think it is what it is. You got to move on. I don't think you can get too upset with the players, certainly, or really even the coaches in those four guys, kind of like situations. When you're fighting against another school, again, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. We haven't won. A whole lot against Alabama, but you can't knock these guys. And I can't say that any of them are a real shocker that those four guys uh, decide to go elsewhere.
1: Yeah, and and, you know, like we've said before, there's still a lot of time left in this class. I'm sure Ohio State's still looking around at some guys to you know replace the guys they've lost and continue bringing in new talent. um, You know, just to kind of finish off the recruiting here on a positive note. There has been some positive movement on the defensive side of the ball in that defensive secondary, um, and that would be with safety Jaden Bonsu, four-star safety out of New Jersey, the number four player in the state. Um, He has really been trending towards Ohio State as of late, and now all seven crystal balls are in favor of Ohio State, including a couple most recently from this Monday from a couple of Miami guys, which was a school that he originally looked like he was going to wind up at. So it looks like Ohio State is doing a good job upon too. It looks like they could add another guy to that secondary. And while it isn't at, you know, the direct position at as Dijon Johnson at cornerback, if that is a guy that they replace in that secondary, that's not certainly not a bad addition to get a guy that, you know, was was somebody who looked like Ohio State would land initially, then it looked like he'd end up at Miami, and now it looks like he's back on the buckeyes, so you know, and it's not all bad news for Ohio State. It does look like they're trending well on that side of the ball. And, you know, with how you know weird the defensive recruiting has been lately, it would be good to get uh, a win like Bonsu here in the near future.
0: I like Bonsu, too. The thing about him is uh, I've gone down a rabbit hole. Uh, I've read that certain analysts don't love his coverage skills, his ability to play maybe a slot. But Ohio State doesn't need that. In a Jim Knowles defense, they're going to have – Probably three safeties on the field at any given time. Maybe you know they're going to have five DBs regardless, is what it seems like. And if he, you know, if it takes him a little bit longer to catch on to the coverage piece, or maybe that's just not his uh, the the sharpest tool in his uh, tool set, that's fine. If he's a box safety and he can give you something like uh, like a Court Williams or something like that, he's six one two ten right now. If he puts on 10, 20 pounds, you're talking about a guy who can be flexible and give you some versatility. So even if the coverage skills aren't top notch right now, we're still talking about a high school kid. He's still got another year of high school football. And if he's only a box safety, that can still be a very valuable piece in this defense. So I like his upside too, which it seems like I always say that I like the upside of these Ohio State guys, but it's sort of true. You know, Ohio State's going after the biggest and the best. And you see 260 in the rankings right now, number 22 safety, it's all about how they use him and how he trans- his skills translate to what Ohio State does on the field. So I think he could be a valuable piece regardless, and I hope that we'll, we'll find out right here in a couple of days. We'll see if Bonsu gets into the fold, and if he does, I think you're looking at a really good secondary haul.
1: Yeah, for sure, and of course, we know under Jim Knowles' defense, there are three different safety positions, all with varying, you know, responsibilities. So I'm sure he could fit into one of those three roles if he does, in fact, wind up at Ohio State. But nonetheless, I think that's really, you know, all the latest on recruiting. Um, I, like I said earlier, that Ohio State is in the midst of their preseason camp, but there's not a ton of, you know, big newsworthy items that have come out of there as of late. If there are, we'll obviously touch on them on, on future podcasts, but. Nonetheless, Josh, I think we're ready to jump back in here to our Big Ten previews. We have two very interesting teams for you guys this week in Penn State and Purdue. I think we'll start with Purdue first, just because obviously I feel like we're working up from the bottom. And I feel like, you know, Penn State's obviously of the two is a much bigger program. So I think we'll start here with Purdue. Um, And so just moving forward here, we'll start with their, as we've done with all of the teams, we will start looking back at their 2021 um, there were three different teams in the Big Ten West last year that finished six and three in the conference. Purdue was one of them. They went nine and four overall. Nine wins was the program's highest total since 2003. They also defeated Tennessee in the Music City Bowl. Um, other than their seven point loss to Minnesota, their only other losses were to Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and Ohio State. So certainly a successful season for the Boilermakers by all metrics. Um, they had some big wins. They had defeated number two Iowa and number five Michigan State, really living up to their spoilermaker moniker. Um, the offense wasn't bad at all. About middle of the pack nationally, number five in the Big Ten. I think that's pretty much as good as you could ask from a Purdue team. And the defense was pretty solid as well. They were 34th nationally in scoring defense, seventh in the Big Ten. Um, so they're you know they're a pretty balanced team. They're good on both sides of the ball. They're led by Jeff Brom, who's now heading into his sixth year with Purdue. He sits at just 28 and 29 overall, but he has won some really big games in his tenure at Purdue. Obviously, the biggest was that win over Ohio State in 2018. But they had those other two big ranks, big ranked wins last year. Kind of surprising he didn't leave this offseason for the Louisville job, but he seems to really like it at Purdue. And I think, you know, overall, I would say he's done pretty darn well in a job that isn't really the easiest to, to win at a place like Purdue.
0: Yeah. You know, I think 500 or thereabouts is about to be expected, but I think the expectations have now um, been elevated after a nine and three season. But you know what you're going to get with Purdue, right? You're going to get a team that throws the ball all over the yard. On and off, they've had decent passable defenses like you mentioned. And they're probably going to pull off an upset or two. So I typically like watching this Purdue team. But as we'll get into you know, last year may have been just sort of a, a really special year for them, given the talent that they had. Aiden O'Connell is back at quarterback. I, I think he's a talented guy, but they lost David Bell. They lost George Karloftis. They lost uh, Jalen Alexander, their leading tackler. So, you know, they had a ton of fun games last year, but they lost a ton of talent too. So I think that will be interesting to see if they can have guys step up, if they can fill some holes with guys that maybe you and I have not heard of. They've got another uh, Karloftis there, you know, let's see if he's the next great pass rusher for them. But of the teams that we have previewed, I think that this is the first team where I could see a noticeable step back. I don't think they're a three or four or five win team by any means, but I, I really don't know if I see nine and three this year. The, they do have the benefit of playing in the Big Ten West, though, and they miss some big teams, which, again, is another thing that I, I know we'll get to. But I'm, I'm really interested to see if they can parlay that momentum into something bigger and better, and maybe they're a perennial, like, eight-win team, or if they take a big step back because they lost some good draft picks and some really high-end talent.
1: Yeah, I, I hope the expectations for Purdue fans weren't raised too much by last year, because like you, I, I expect Purdue to take a pretty significant step back this year. I mean, not a lot of teams can lose their best offensive player and their best F, uh, best defensive player, as well as their defensive coordinator, uh, who did a pretty good job. Uh, you know, th- those two guys on the field, especially, are going to be really hard guys to replace. You know, a guy like George Karloftis, you know, not at the same talent level as a Chase Young, but kind of similar. He did what was similar to what Chase Young did for Ohio State's defense with Purdue, and that's kind of hide the other flaws on the rest of the defense when opposing teams are putting so much time into stopping a guy like George This It allows you to, you know, take some shots in the back end, hide some, some flaws that you may have that you may not otherwise seen when you have a good pass rush, as we've seen at Ohio State when they, you know, without Chase Young. So, guy like that's hard to replace. Obviously, David Bell, their top receiver, is going to be tough to place. But like you said, you know, looking at their offense here, Aiden O'Connell returns for his third season as Purdue starter. Um, uh, Brougham's passing offenses have ranked first or second in the Big Ten in each of the last four years. Uh, they finished second behind Ohio State last season. O'Connell himself has passed for over 5,700 yards with 43 touchdowns and 17 picks in his career. Uh, he's one of the better quarterbacks in the conference. I know that's not really saying a whole lot based on what the Big Tens put out there, but we may really see if that's truly the case this season because of his surrounding cast. Like we've mentioned, he no longer has the services of a guy like Rondell Moore or David Bell at his disposal. They lost Bell to the NFL this past year. In addition to that... Their second leading receiver from last year, Milton Wright, has been ruled academically ineligible for 2022. Those two guys combined for 2,000 yards and 13 touchdowns last season. So you're losing a lot there. They do bring in Iowa transfer, Tyrone Tracy, but he had less than 1,000 total yards with the Hawkeyes in his career there. Uh, Senior receiver Brock Thompson is here, but he's coming off double knee surgery. So the receiver room, not exactly loaded with top-end talent this year. However, they do have Payne Durham, a tight end, 6'5", 255-pound guy, caught 45 balls for nearly 500 yards last year among the best in the conference at that position and then you look at the running back room not really much to speak of here as is usually the case at Purdue they were dead last in the Big Ten and rushing offense last season
0: that's King, underselling it Gene not yeah. much to look
1: forward to I mean, let's get real it's it's not pretty I mean King Doru's back as their leading rusher but he had 533 yards on under four yards per carry last year um, They brought in Samson James from Indiana, who was a former Ohio State commit, who looked good in their spring game, but Purdue hasn't run all that effectively, uh, you know, pretty much for the past couple of years, and it's probably going to be more of the same in 2022. Um, the offensive line returns a ton of experience, led by all Big Ten honorable mention Gus Hartwig, but it's kind of just a, a middle-of-the-road unit, obviously not the best at run blocking, but they were still part of an offense that averaged 440 yards per game last season, so I guess that's something to look at, but I do worry that without a star wide receiver and without much of any run game to speak of, that this Purdue offense may struggle a bit more than they have in previous seasons.
0: I agree with you. I think this comes down to, is Aiden O'Connell as good as he was last year, or was that uh, kind of fool's gold, right? Because last year, second team, all Big Ten, 3,700 yards, 28 touchdowns, 11 picks, he just knows what to do in the Jeff Brom offense, which is very important, and he can make all of the throws. He, he doesn't have a cannon, in my opinion, but he's got adequate arm strength, and they like to do a lot of stuff underneath, too. So um, he's got some guys there, like you mentioned, but we'll see if he can elevate the talent around him. And they also don't have Jack Plummer as a backup. Jack Plummer was the starter, I think, at the beginning of the year last year. He, he played, right? He threw seven touchdowns, zero picks, but he transferred to Cal for his last year. So, you know, if something bad were to happen to Aiden O'Connell, I don't know what they have coming down the pipeline. You look forward a little bit, the running game, like you mentioned, and like we talked about, just putrid um but i think it could improve because in addition to Samson James they also brought in Kobe Lewis from Central Michigan not a name that stands out but that's because he hasn't played a whole lot the last two seasons he was injured most of last year if not all of last year and then 2020 i'm not sure he may have sat out the pandemic shortened season but back in 2019 he had 1,000 yards for Central Michigan. Are they the Chippewas? Am I getting that right?
1: I do do believe so. I do believe you're correct on the Chippewas.
0: Maybe a former Chippewa, but I think they averaged like 3.9 yards per carry last year. If they can even get to 5, that would be a massive upgrade and probably— Think get defenses to think a little bit more or a little more often about the run game, but there's a lot of uh uncertainty there because of those guys that we talked about. One hasn't played since 2019. And Samson James, yeah. I mean, he was the number 10 running back in his recruiting class. He was an Ohio State commit, but didn't really do anything in Indiana. So TBD there, as far as the wide receivers go. Yes, they lost David Bell, they lost Milton Wright, and they also lost Jackson Anthrop. So the top three receivers, really, but the guys behind them, because they throw the ball so much and so often, their fourth and fifth and sixth options from last year, they all have experience. So it's not like they're coming in fresh. Brock Thompson and T.J. Sheffield, I think you mentioned both of those guys, and You mentioned uh, an Iowa transfer. I think they actually have two because they also added Charlie Jones. Charlie Jones was a first-team All-Big Ten kick returner, and he's really a specialist, or he has been at Iowa, but maybe he saw the opportunity at Purdue to expand his game. If you can be a first-team All-Big Ten kick returner, that tells me you've got some skill and maybe it's untapped potential at this point so he could be a surprise for them who knows and then the offensive line I I I don't know if they practice one facet of the game and not the other their inability to run the ball it's nothing new for Purdue but I do think that the line is probably better than they get credit for because they gave up 29 sacks last year. and That's not a great number. But when you think about how often Purdue throws the ball all over the yard, seemingly every down, that's really not a bad number for a team that likes to throw for four or 5,000 yards per season. That's a lot of dropbacks, uh, a lot of times that you are asked to protect the quarterback. So I don't think that offensive line is too bad. For me, it comes down to can they run the ball better? And then can these other wide receivers step up? Um David Bell was the known entity, and he did it for more than one year. He was a productive guy for a couple of seasons. We'll see if these other guys can step up. I think they will to a certain extent, but in my opinion, they don't have a David Bell right now, so I don't know if they will be as explosive, and that's maybe where they can supplement with the running game a little bit better, but Charlie Jones is a guy I'll have my eye on. Like I said, the uh, the transfer from Iowa, he's experienced. He can clearly do a lot with the ball in his hands, so if he can catch on to this Jeff Brom offense and develop some chemistry with Aiden O'Connell, he could be a surprise, and, and maybe we'll be talking about a team that's nearly as explosive on offense as they were last year.
1: Yeah, very interesting strategy by Purdue here to go out and get running backs from Indiana and wide receivers from Iowa. Two schools definitely known uh, for those two positions. But nonetheless, yeah, um, running the football definitely going to be important. They don't really seem all that interested in, in doing it. They are pretty much an air raid offense at its peak. But if they're going to have, you know, perhaps a step back, and at least in the receiver core, it would definitely help them to be able to run the football at least a little bit, which I can't say they've done the past couple of years. Um, on the flip side... Um, Like I said before, they lose defensive coordinator Brad Lambert, who went off to Wake Forest. They're going to run a 4 2 5 this season. Uh, Defensive line obviously suffers a huge loss with George Karloftis off to the NFL, like we said earlier. But they do bring back Kyrgen Jenkins, who actually led the team as a redshirt freshman with five sacks. So he'll be back at defensive end. They're hoping that, you know, him alongside senior Jack Sullivan and George's younger brother, Yanni Karloftis, um, can pick up some of his production. Sullivan was solid as a junior with five tackles for loss and three sacks. Yanni was a, a four star prospect. In 2021, who will be looking to make a big impact as a redshirt freshman, you know, hoping for they're probably hoping for, you know, a Joey and Nick Bosa type situation there with both of the Offices. We'll see if that comes to fruition um, up the interior. They should be pretty solid. Brandon Dean and Lawrence Johnson, both experienced guys, both return as a starting tackle. So they should be solid in at least in the run stopping on the, on the line part. Um, At the linebacker core, they lose star linebacker Jalen Alexander, who led the team last year with a crazy 113 tackles, uh, as well as his 8.5 tackles for loss, which also led the team. Um, They bring back Kieran Douglas, who had made 67 tackles a year ago. He'll likely be joined in that group by Auburn transfer OC Brothers and linebacker safety hybrid Jalen Graham. Brothers had three and a half tackles for loss in his first year at Purdue last season, and Graham made 64 total tackles to go along with two picks and a sack. Um, He's a pretty good player in that defense in the middle, you know, able to play coverage and at linebacker, very valuable player in that position. Um, And then they have a lot of talent in the secondary. Despite losing safety Marvin Grant to Kansas, who was their second leading tackler, they bring back Cam Allen. Who had a team high four interceptions last season? They get six foot three defensive back Corey Trice back from knee injury. Um, he's got three career picks and experience playing both corner and safety. Um, and Jamari Brown will likely be one of the starting corners after finishing second on the team with six pass breakups last year. And in addition, they bring in Reese Taylor, a transfer from Indiana, who has 11 career pass breakups and had a pair of picks with the Hoosiers. So pretty good in the you know in the back seven, I would say some question marks. I guess up front without Carloth this, but uh, like I said earlier, maybe a, a, a Chase Young type situation where the defense isn't as good as some of its parts and was um you know a big result of having a, a true NFL star defensive lineman on your on your team. But nonetheless, it looks like they do have some pretty good guys across the board and should at least be able to put together another solid defensive performance this year, especially given the division they play in.
0: Yeah, they were kind of sneaky good last year. You mentioned some of their stats. The one that I had written down, they only allowed 209 yards passing last year. So that speaks to the secondary talent, the secondary depth and experience that they have. The the good thing that they've got going for them is most of the projected starters played real snaps last year. Even if they weren't starters in 2021, they were rotational guys or they played you know, in backup roles, but they saw the field quite a bit. So I don't anticipate a huge drop-off. I don't, I don't know that they can replicate what they did last year, especially when it comes to pass defense. But you talked about some of the names up front, three redshirt seniors, including Branson Dean, who you talked about. Um, Jenkins, he actually plays their Leo position, similar to what Ohio state does led them in sacks. You hit on that linebackers. It's huge. I think to lose Jalen Alexander, 113 tackles, uh, you know, head and shoulders above the rest, but Kieran Douglas and Jalen Graham, they were third and fifth on the team in tackles respectively. And you talked about Graham as a guy who can, sort of play all over the field he had seven passes defended too in addition to the tackles and interceptions that you talked about so he can play sort of a a versatile role and then the secondary just a ton of experience Kim Allen and Jamari Brown are solid corners Corey Trice they're getting back so yeah like I said I, I don't know that they can replicate 200 yards passing allowed but I think it's a a better defense than it probably gets credit for and that speaks to some of the metrics they had last year if they can elevate just a little bit and they make up for any losses on the offense as far as like firepower and production goes then maybe those two levels can kind of meet and they can come close to replicating the success that they had last year but I think the biggest challenge it might be on defense. I know that they lost David Bell and all the wide receivers, but I just think Purdue will figure it out. They may not throw for 4,000 yards, but maybe they end up at 3,500, something like that. I think Aiden Aiden O'Connell is talented. He'll keep them in games. He'll figure some things out. But on defense, even though they've got the experience, they don't have Karloffis. They don't have their leading tackler. And it's just it's almost impossible to give up just about 200 yards passing in back to back seasons. I don't know how many schools or teams have done that. So I think that's where that's where they could be hurt the most. And it's not a a ton of individuals per se that they lost on the defensive side. It's just how do you replicate that success? I think it'll be difficult.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you look at this team overall, it's going to be tough to overcome, you know, the two big losses, one on each side of the ball. But I I do think, you know, playing in the Big Ten West is definitely going to be a benefit for this team. I do think the defense will take a step back, maybe not a huge one, but I I think within, you know, with the offenses they're going to play against, I think they should be pretty much fine. Um, I do worry about the offense because of all I said, like the question marks at wide receiver, plus the inability to run the football to supplement any potential struggles in that passing game. Um, you look a bit here at their schedule. Tough start to the season having to open up against Penn State on a Thursday night. They also have a difficult road game in the non-con against Syracuse. But they do miss Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State in the Big Ten East crossover. So that's a huge plus for them. They have to go to Maryland and Wisconsin. I don't know if they're able to win either of those games. Um, Iowa at home will likely be an ugly game for both teams involved. But I think it's kind of tough to predict where this team is going to go in 2022. It's going to depend on how much a lot of these other guys step up. I'm not particularly high on Purdue as a whole, but I think the West is so bad that they could wind up being pretty decent. And maybe, maybe it's not just a product of the West. Maybe they are just a good team and they're, they're better than the sum of their parts, but I, I it's, I'm really having a, you know, a tough time looking at their schedule and just looking at this Purdue team and trying to figure out what all is going to happen in 2022.
0: It is very difficult because of the conference they play and you hit it on the head. We've talked about some of these teams already. We've hit on Nebraska. Um, we hit on Maryland. The thing is, and, and I really, I'm not trying to, kind of like crap on the Big Ten West, but I don't think that there is an unbeatable juggernaut on that side of the conference. Now, I'm not saying that Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State are these unbeatable juggernauts. Maybe Ohio State I I would put in that category, but when you look at the West, like I don't think it's impossible to beat Wisconsin for Purdue. Um, They beat Iowa last year. They get Penn State week one, so yeah, they they could win a lot of these games and potentially get to nine wins. But on the other hand, you know, Wisconsin is probably due for a bounce back. I think a real bounce back for Wisconsin. I think Nebraska would get better. We talked about them. Maryland could surprise some people. So there's all this sort of ambiguity in the Big Ten West. And that's why I think it makes a record difficult to predict, like you said. But You know, We alluded to it earlier. They always have an upset, and then you look at what they've been in the past. They're usually six, seven wins, something like that. I think that's probably where they end up. I don't see nine wins in the cards for them this year, but I I wouldn't put big money on it. It would not be an absolute shocker if they could beat Penn State week one, upset Wisconsin, and then back-to-back against Iowa. At least they get Iowa at home, not uh, at Kinnick. So, all things are on the table. If I had to throw a number out there, I would probably put Purdue at seven wins. If I'm just throwing a complete random guess out there,
1: yeah, I think six and six or seven and five is probably the most likely outcome for this team. I think they're definitely, you know, I think their floor is a bowl game. I think they're definitely good enough to do that, especially given you know the teams are going to be up against in their own division. I don't know. Yeah, if they're for gonna sure,
0: come. they're they're a bowl team through and
1: yeah. through. I don't know if they're going to compete for a Big 10 West title. I don't, you know, we're going to get to the rest of the teams in that in that division later on, but I, you know, it'll be interesting to see. They have a lot of moving parts there. They have a lot of question marks. And if they do, you know, if their wide receiver core winds up being better than expected, and if they're able to overcome the losses of, you know, of George Karloftis as a unit, then I think that they could be pretty decent over there. And and like you said, there's not a ton of, you know, got, there's not a ton of teams that strike fear in you in the Big Ten West other than, you know, maybe a Wisconsin, but even they are not known as, as an offensive juggernaut. So they're, they're certainly beatable if you put together a good offensive performance like we've seen Purdue able to do in the past. Speaking of Purdue's tough season opener against Penn State, let's get to Penn State, the other team on our Big Ten preview schedule today. Um, Looking back at their 2021, certainly not the best year for Penn State by any means, finishing with a 7-6 record overall with just a 4-5 record in Big Ten play. They started off the season 5-0 with a big road win over Wisconsin and a win at home against Auburn but then they went on to lose 6 of their last 8 games including road contests versus Iowa, Ohio State and Michigan State. They had that 9 overtime loss at home to Illinois. They also lost to Michigan at home and then they got they they lost to Arkansas 24 to 10 in the Outback Bowl. Um Not a particularly good team last year. They were really propped up by their defense. Um, They were number seven in the nation, allowing 17.3 points per game. Uh, The offense, on the other hand, was really, really bad. They were 90th out of 130 teams with 25 points per game, second to last in the Big Ten ahead of only Purdue with 108 yards per game on the ground. The offensive line, as it has been for many years for Penn State now, was a huge problem. They couldn't run block to save their lives. They allowed a whopping 34 sacks on the year. Sean Clifford was essentially on his back or running for his life on seemingly every play. Um, But, you know, for all the offensive struggles, that defense was really solid. They finished third in the Big Ten in passing defense, third in points allowed. They were also third in the conference with 14 picks, and they had the best red zone defense in the conference. So really a tale of two teams for Penn State. They had a really good defense and a really bad offense, and, you know, they're hoping to be able to turn the offensive things around and build on some of that defense from last year and and turn it around in, in 2022.
0: It's funny you said that because I was going to say that they are Jekyll and Hyde. That's really what Penn State is, in my opinion. And before we get into either side of the ball, I'm going to get on a little bit of a James Franklin soapbox. Right. I'm glad you are.
1: I'm very excited.
0: I I did this with Brett Bielema. Nothing against the guy personally, because you have to admit that he's been successful at Penn State. They've got uh, they've had three 11 win seasons under him, but he was hired to challenge Big Ten Ohio State for Big Ten supremacy. And it just hasn't happened. You know, he was Big Ten Coach of the Year in 2016. But since then, when they ranked in the preseason, they have exceeded expectations just once. So what I mean by that is they finished with a higher ranking than they had going into the season just once since 2016. So um, the expectations always seem to be much higher for this program. And I think that's because James Franklin has recruited well. The last couple of classes, they had the sixth ranked class in 2018, 12th in 19, 15th in 20, and 21 in 2021, and the number uh, number six class for 2022. So they're bringing in a lot of talent, but the results haven't always sort of again met the expectations. And you go a little bit further; they're three and four in bowl games under Franklin, and 11 and 11 over their last two seasons so they've got 31 wins since 2018 i'm going to give you a school gene penn state's got 31 wins since 2018 i'm thinking of a school that has 35 take a guess
1: uh, is this is this a big 10 school
0: it is yes yes it's a big 10 west school or a big 10 west school i'll just go ahead and give you more of a of a
1: hint it's got to be uh oh it's gonna it's not gonna be Wisconsin. Be too obvious i'm gonna say iowa
0: yeah, it's Iowa. And maybe I should have said West. I, I kind of. Oh led no! With if that, you but... if you
1: wouldn't have said West, I absolutely would have said like Michigan State. But that was that was that's good.
0: Yeah, but when you look at their their national profile, who do fans and media like tend to think more highly of? They think high more highly of Penn State, but Iowa has been winning at a higher clip. They've been winning more games. So, you know, I, I don't think that Kirk Ferentz is in the running for the USC job, right? Like James Franklin was. So. To me, I it comes down to, has the magic worn off uh, for Penn State and for James Franklin? I, or do they just need to hit on some of these recruits or or really bring back Trace McSorley, right? It seems like Trace McSorley was James uh, James Franklin's guardian angel. They won a ton of games with him at quarterback. So all of that being said, there's a ton of talent on this roster, whether they're inexperienced freshmen. Ah, uh, you know, four or five star guys from a year or two ago, a lot of talented ball players on this uh, on this team. can they put all the pieces together at the same time? you you alluded to the fact that their defense was just top notch last year. The offense held them back. So for me, as we get into the offense, it really comes down to Sean Clifford. And Sean Clifford is not a bad quarterback by any means. He is, passable maybe even above average but he hovers right around 60% of his uh passes being completed he's going to give you about 20 touchdowns and eight picks per year he's got the ability to scramble a little bit and that's fine but if Penn State wants to win 10 11 12 games again he needs to either take a step forward or maybe they get a little bit crazy and they call upon Drew Aller all-world recruit so um I'll turn it back to you, but for me it really comes down to Sean Clifford and his performance in this offense.
1: Yeah, before we get too deep in the offense, I do want to talk about, you know, James Franklin just a little bit here. Uh he's heading into year 9 at Penn State. He is a very polarizing head coach, I would say, in in the college football world. 67-34 record overall in his 8 seasons so far with the Nittany Lions, 3 and 4 in bowl games. Um over the past 2 years Penn State has gone 11 and 11 overall, which is the worst 2-year stretch from the program since 2003-2004. Um, and, and, you know, you, you talked about it. he's as a good recruiter and he's landed some really big guys. But I feel like, you know, for all the good wins, he's lost a lot of big in-state misses. Um, too many for my blood. You know, he seems to constantly lose some of the best talent in his own backyard to the Ohio States and Michigans of the world. You know, teams that he's directly competing against on the field. Um, and, and you talked about some of his recent classes. Their 2023 class sits at number 10 currently. You look at their last four, 14th, 17th, 21st and 8th. Um, they've had some good classes, you know, that, that 21 is not exactly what you want as a school like Penn state, but nonetheless, they brought in a ton of really talented guys and it just doesn't seem like they're really able to, to put it all together. And we're going to talk about some of those guys here on that offense that could potentially make, Gee, let me make ask you this then. Yeah.
0: Do you think it is X's and O's? Do you think it is preparation? Like where, if you had to pick an area and, you know, To grade him a little
1: bit, where do you think James Franklin falls short, I guess is my question. I I think this team's biggest flaw, and it it might be this year and it has been for the past couple years, is that they simply haven't had an offensive line. We've seen... What has happened when you lose games in the trenches? We saw Ohio State versus Michigan last year when Ohio State's offensive line wasn't good enough to get the job done, and Michigan's was. And and when you're a team like Penn State and you are you you know you have good talent, but you're still at a talent disadvantage of schools like Ohio State and Michigan, if you don't have any semblance of an offensive line, you are not going to win football games. When you're going up against the type of NFL talent that these schools have at defensive line specifically, you're just not going to be able to, to do anything on offense. It doesn't matter how good your quarterback is if he has no time to throw and if you can't run the football. So I think you know the the biggest thing for this team is going to be able to turn around on the offensive line. And as we're going to get to here in a minute, I just don't know if they've really addressed that issue yet. And it's been an issue for seemingly quite some time.
0: That's fair. And I think you could even extrapolate it out a little bit further. It's trenches. Their defensive line didn't really hold them back last year. They performed pretty well. But when you think back to, gosh, I'm going to age myself a, a little bit, but like early two thousands Penn State team or when they were most successful, they had dogs on both sides of the ball. And I think they've got a couple potential um, you know, studs on the defensive side. But I'm with you, the offensive line talent and execution has not been what it needs to be. And as much as Ohio State and Purdue have like kind of advanced Big Ten offense, it's still trench warfare and to your point, if Penn State's not getting it done at the line of scrimmage, I do think that's a valid reason why they have occasionally fallen short of expectations.
1: Yeah, definitely. And so let's let's take a look at this offense this year. As you've said, Sean Clifford returns for what feels like his 24th season at Penn State. He is one of the most experienced quarterbacks in college football. I'm not all entirely sure that's a good thing. He hasn't really seemed to get any better in his time in State College. And like you said, he's not bad, but he's just he hasn't seemed to really improve all that much I don't think it's entirely his fault as we' talked about his team's offensive line has been dreadful um, but he still managed to put together a pretty good year on paper last season at least he had 3100 yards 21 touchdowns eight picks but you know they, they played a team like Arkansas in the bowl game he went 14 of 32 with 195 yards with one touchdown and two picks you know that kind of stat line is not going to get the job done against good teams and and as you mentioned as well they do have five-star freshman drew Aller behind him who I'd like to see get a shot but if that offensive line isn't improved, maybe they don't want to get him killed in year one. So maybe wait a little bit on that. But I think you know he is probably the better option of the two. Almost certainly the better option of the two. Um, and you know on top of that, their running game needs to drastically improve for Penn State to do pretty much anything. They did not have a player rush for over a hundred yards in a single game last season. In fact, they had seven games with less than a hundred rushing yards total as a team. Uh, they, they, it's not good. If you're Ohio, if you're a team like Penn state, that should not be happening. Um, their leading rusher, Kayvon Lee, uh, is back, but he had 530 yards total on less than five yards per carry they lost four-star Noah Kane to LSU, but I do think they will see an immediate impact from incoming five-star freshman Nick Singleton, the number one running back in the 2022 class. I would not be surprised in the slightest to see him win that starting job. Um, And then you look at the wide receiver core, huge loss at wide receiver in Jahan Dotson going to the NFL. This is a guy who had 91 catches for almost 1,200 yards and 12 touchdowns in 2021. They do bring back their second leading receiver, Parker Washington, and they add uh, Western Kentucky transfer Mitchell Tinsley, who had 1,400 yards and 14 touchdowns in that really good hilltoppers air raid offense so they should be a solid duo but it's still gonna be tough to replace a guy with the skill talent of Dotson, a true nfl type wide receiver they do have theo johnson at tight end who's very solid but you know all this being said they have these talented players they always seem to have these talented players but it only did this offense is going to hinge on if that offensive line just doesn't completely suck this year um they only have two returning stars from last year which might not be a bad thing uh you know when everything's said and done they brought in a pair of transfers from cornell and the juco ranks um, but there's every chance that three guys along the front will have only one combined start at Penn State, so I guess we'll we'll have to see. But it, it is kind of just strange to me that this offensive line has been so bad for so long, and there doesn't really seem to be any sort of emphasis on fixing it anytime soon. They haven't, you know, really hit on any big guys in in recruiting. They haven't brought in any big transfers, but it, it's you know they have that, like we've said, they have these skilled, talented guys, and it's just can they block?
0: It's never great when you go from poor to inexperienced. Like that's not a big upgrade, right? So. I'll hit on the offensive line first. I'm with you. I think that, um, it's going to be tough sledding, no pun intended, but you mentioned the transfers, the, uh, the one kid Hunter Norzad, he was, I think like an all Ivy league guy at Cornell. And I saw him listed as a guard for Penn state, but he played tackle at Cornell. So regardless, versatility there, maybe he can provide them a boost. I do think it's it's 1A and 1B as far as importance goes between offensive line and quarterback. Getting back to Clifford, as you were talking about him, and we sort of uh, talked about him a little bit as in the intro, he's a game manager, in my opinion. And if you've got <clears throat> the other parts of your team, like the the other parts of the sum are top-notch or like high-level, I think you can get by with that and be... Very successful with that. But Clifford, I think, holds them back in the sense that they are crazy, crazy talented at the skill positions. You know, you mentioned Dotson last year. He propped him up, but still on the roster with the team. We talked, or you talked about the quarterback. Singleton was the number one uh, running back in the class. They brought in another four star, he was the 12th ranked running back, Katron Allen. 5'11", 220, thick with two Cs, kind of a downhill runner. So uh, a ton of talent there at running back in addition to the experience they have coming back. And then out there at wide receiver, Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith. You mentioned Tinsley from Western Kentucky. And they also brought in Caden Saunders as part of that good recruiting class. He's out of the Columbus, Ohio area. I don't think he was a five-star. He was at least a high four-star, though. He's a number seven wide receiver in his class so four and five star guys all over the place at those skill positions can Clifford get it to him can he be efficient can he limit the turnovers all of that I think he would have to take a big step forward for Penn State to elevate that offense because I don't think that being average or passable or a game manager is enough in my opinion he can't win you games he can prevent losses that's kind of how I look at his skill set he can keep you in it he's not a big turnover guy it's they tend to happen at the wrong times but for the most part he takes care of the ball it's just I, I don't think he can elevate those other skill players enough whereas Drew Aller has the pedigree and he's 6'5 he's 230 he's got a rocket for an arm I just don't know It's tough to throw a true freshman in there when you've got four or five years of experience and you're trying to bring in all these other freshmen who are also the most talented guys on your roster. So I think it's going to be a juggling act for James Franklin, for their offensive coordinator and for their offense in general. How do you kind of fold in all that high-end talent with a quarterback who is... eh, Gosh, I don't want to be too harsh, but let's just say mediocre. He's not up to the same level when it comes to pedigree, recruiting stars, and all of that stuff. So, between Clifford and offensive and their offensive line, I think it holds them back too much. I think they need to just flip the script, go to Aller sooner than later because their schedule—it's not going to do them many favors. Like they don't open with a, a ton of these walkover, pushover type teams. It's sort of back and forth, back and forth. So, and they get into Big Ten play really early. They open with Purdue, like you said. And then I think week three, uh, I'll pull it up as we get into the schedule. They're playing another Big Ten game. So it's feast or famine. And if they start out, you know, two and one, two and two, something like that, do they go to Aller even sooner? Or who knows? You know, maybe he looks great in camp and he just takes that job. We've seen it done before right i think of um like alabama right a couple of years ago it didn't happen at the beginning of the season but they were playing for a damn national title and they were like all right we're going to tua jalen hurts isn't getting it done jalen hurts was good he was passable he was productive but he couldn't elevate the team to where it needed to go that's why i think we see Aller sooner than later But it's going to be hard to turn the page from Clifford, a guy who has a ton of experience and has been with Franklin for a long time. So, just a lot of question marks for me on that offense.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you know, if that offense can can take the next step, then they should be you know in pretty good shape because the defense once again is going to be pretty solid. Um, you look at the roster here. I I think so. I mean, you look up front here. Manny Diaz would like a word, my friend. I I don't love that. I'd like some of the players. I don't love to hear that though. Um, looking at just purely the roster here. Um, up front, Penn State will be thrilled to have run-stuffing defensive tackle P.J. Mustafer back. Big dude up the middle. Suffered a season-ending knee injury against Iowa last season, but he is now back. They will be without Arnold Epichetti, who left uh, to the NFL, led the team last year, 18 tackles for loss and 9.5 and sacks. But in his place, they bring in five-stars freshman Danny Dennis Sutton as well as Maryland transfer Demian Robinson. So the defensive line for Penn State should be solid as it generally is. May not have the top 10 talent of a guy like Epichetti, but should be solid across the board. Um, linebacker returns just one starter and Curtis Jacobs, uh, had 61 total tackles last year and three sacks, but not a whole ton of returning production outside of Jacobs. Um, they have two guys in Tyler Ellison and Kobe King who are going to compete in the middle those two guys combined for 13 total tackles last season. So not a ton of production there. They're also moving senior safety Jonathan Sutherland to outside linebacker. So it's generally not uh, a great sign when you're moving a 5'11" 5th year safety to fill a linebacker spot. It's not really the greatest, um, look in terms of roster uh, construction, I would say. Um, But while the linebackers may be a bit iffy, I think the secondary should be pretty solid once again. They do lose Tariq Castrofields and Jaquan Brisker, who are two absolutely massive losses. I don't want to downplay them. Jaquan Brisker was one of the best safeties in the Big Ten, and Tariq Castrofields was a very, very good corner for them. But they do return both cornerback Joey Porter Jr. and safety Jair Brown. Porter is an excellent corner, recorded a pick last year and four pass breakups. Uh, Brown tied for the FBS lead with a whopping six interceptions in 2021. So those two guys will be the stalwarts of the defensive backfield. Um, alongside them, Kalen King struggled last year, but he's back as likely another starting corner. And then that Daquan Hardy and Nickelback is a guy I really like. Another really solid player led the team with six pass breakups a year ago. They also add a couple other solid incoming freshmen defensive backs. So I am a bit concerned about the linebacker core, but I think the line and the secondary will both be solid. And what should be, you know, another, uh, you know, pretty good Penn State team, you know, Manny Diaz, notwithstanding,
0: (laughs) Manny Diaz, notwithstanding look, they're bringing back some talent. I love their secondary. You mentioned Jair Brown leading the, or tied for the NCAA lead with six interceptions. Joey Porter Jr. has one in his career, but that's sort of because he's not tested very often. He is a lockdown you know, type of guy, and he's 6'2", 6'3". He's a big physical corner. So secondary withstanding, I do have a lot of question marks, uh, a lot of questions about the rest of their defense, though, because, the linebacker losses, I mean, gosh, big, big losses there with Ellis Brooks, Brandon Smith, and Jesse Lucchetta. Those guys were essentially three quarterbacks for the defense. They were all versatile. They could support the run. They could, uh, you know, give you enough in pass coverage. So that's where I, I have the most concern, or I would have the most concern if I were a Penn State fan, is the middle of that defense just because of the experience that they've lost curtis jacobs is a nice player he'll be the leader the alpha in that room but gosh you know they're replacing 250 tackles or, or something like that and a ton kinda, of experience so. kind of
1: weird to see a school like penn state with a with a weakness at linebacker right a school that's been known for linebacker talent for a, for a little bit now to have that position specifically be so thin it's it's a little bit surprising
0: yeah, you know, that's a great point, actually. They have made their bones at linebacker going back to like LeVar Arrington and guys like that. It's maybe sort of similar to Ohio State in their defensive line. Right. I'm not saying that the Penn State linebackers were up there with a Bosa or a Chase Young, but they were, they've were, they been re- a really, really good unit for a number of years now, and maybe we see some drop off like we've seen drop off with Ohio State's defensive line. So I think that's a good point. I don't think that they are dissimilar, those two units, but um, a lot of holes to fill really for that linebacker core. And uh, I I like the guy they have up front, though, the number 29 overall recruit, Danny Dennis Sutton, you mentioned along the defensive line. Maybe he can provide them a boost like a a Jack Sawyer or a JTT did for Ohio State last year. Granted, they didn't play a ton, but they kind of gave you some juice and they gave you more options. So maybe he gets into the fold like Purdue, I don't know that they can replicate the defensive performance they had last year because of the losses, but I think that they will be tough to throw against with that secondary. And they're also getting P.J. Mustafer back. I don't know if you brought that up or not. Stout run defender, you know, like 330 pounds up the middle. He was injured for uh, most of last year, or at least the second half of the year. So they do get a big uh, sort of bonus ad there to go with their returnees in the secondary, but you know it, it's gonna be tough. It's sort of similar to Purdue in that Purdue's defense needs to you know almost be as good as they were last year. Penn State almost needs to be as good as they were last year, in my opinion because I just don't think they can duplicate it, but they've got guys there. they've got, the bones of a great defense. It comes down to whether or not the new linebackers can step up and the guys across the defensive line can give you something because their pass rush wasn't great outside of Ebiketti. And he was a really good rusher and he not your prototypical guy, right? A little bit shorter, had shorter arms, but he could get after the quarterback. He did that at temple too. I remember writing about him last year during like a game preview or something like that. So Big losses, but big talent coming back. I think they can be solid. If the offense can carry them a little bit more, I think you're looking at another solid, solid to good team. I, I'm not gonna go great until they prove it or I see it. But I think Penn State
1: will give some some really good teams trouble. Yeah, I could I could certainly see that. And you know, you're just looking at Penn State here as a whole. Uh, yeah, like we said, the defense is is it hasn't been the problem for Penn State. It's really going to hinge on the offense, and I think a lot of the problems, like we said, stemming from that offensive line. If they can't run the football and they can't keep Clifford upright, I don't think they're going to improve a ton on that side of the football. Even if they were to put in a guy like Drew Aller, if that line is simply as bad as it has been, I don't think they're going to be able to get the job done on that side of the football, and it's going to you know significantly hinder their abilities overall as a team. But that being said, even with their limitations. I think they'll probably wind up starting the season 5 and 0. They do have road games at Purdue and Auburn earlier in the year, but I don't I'm not super high on either of those two football teams. I think Penn State is better than both of them. Um and then they're home against Ohio, Central Michigan and Northwestern. So, should be a, a relatively easy 5 and 0 start. I think that, you know, I'm not I don't think Auburn's any good. I don't, you know, foresee that being an issue, but I guess it could be. Um, they're going to lose to Michigan and Ohio state. I I think Maryland could be interesting with their, you know, with their offense, like we previewed earlier. Um, but I don't know if that's a a loss for them. The Michigan state game could be a toss up, but at the end of the day, I, I think you're looking at like, probably like a nine and three Penn state, but I don't know if it's a particularly strong nine and three. I wouldn't be surprised if they went like eight and four because of just all of the, the offensive limitations that this team has. If they're you know, maybe Nick Singleton does change things. Maybe they're able to, to get the ball moving, but they just, if you're unable to run the football in this conference, especially against the, the upper echelon teams and your offensive line isn't keeping your quarterback clean, you're just not going to be able to stick in many games, even if your defense is good. You can only have your defense you know, on the field for so long before they start to get tired against some of these you know, high-flying offenses, especially one like Ohio State. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a 9-3 and or even like a 10-2 and season for Penn State, but I, just, I don't know if it's going to be um, a, a pretty way to get there.
0: So let's get nuts, Gene. I'm going to pose you uh, pose this to you. What if they lose to Purdue week one, and Purdue, or I'm sorry, Auburn week three? I think that's a possibility. You know, I, I, I'm not saying that Purdue or Auburn is the better team, but I don't. I also don't believe that there is a huge gap there, especially with look. There's a talent gap with Purdue but you're getting a team that likes to throw the ball for 500 yards a game week one. I don't know how you can prepare for that. So, you know, say they start one and two. It's sort of a a tricky question because you would have to read into results or, or future results. But if they start out one and two, do you think they go to Drew Aller that early?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it, I guess it depends on how it looks. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if like their losses have been like Sean Clifford's fault. Um, I mean, I guess some of like you said, that's he's ha- he's not a huge turnover guy, but he does have some of some really bad moments. But overall, I don't think that, you know, a lot of the loss are his fault. So I guess depending on how it looked, like if he looked really bad in those two games, then I think maybe. Um, but if it's just like he's getting killed because they can't hold the block, then I don't think they're going to risk, you know, putting their five star quarterback in early in the season, if, especially if they start one and two in the season, most likely, you know, overall lost. I don't think they're going to risk his health. So I think it kind of depends on how those two games play out.
0: OK, Th- that's fair. I think I'm just willing to go a little bit further in my prediction. I, I think it will happen. I think they'll, let's call it an upset to Purdue. Per, Auburn's probably a coin toss, uh, in my opinion. I haven't seen future odds or anything like that. I can see them starting one and two, going to Aller, and ending seven and five, because if they lose those two games, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, all potential losses. I could see them as a seven win team. I could also see them up around nine, ten teams like you said, but I'm willing to you know, bet or something like that. Maybe we'll do a friendly wager. I think they lose at least one of those Purdue-Auburn games and they have a real decision to make quarterback. And if they lose both, I think the decision is made for them and they have a rough season.
1: I'm just looking at here, just real quickly, I pulled up like some of their early odds that they have for some of those games, the bigger games. Um, they're only a three-point favorite at Purdue, which is, I guess, kind of weird. Um, they're a one-point favorite. West over Lafayette, Auburn.
0: baby. No one yeah. likes to play
1: there. Yeah, tough place to play. Um, they're only a one-point favorite over Auburn, so maybe I'm giving, you know, maybe I'm not giving Auburn enough credit. I just particularly don't usually like them as as a as an idea. Um, they're six and a half point underdogs at Michigan. They're thirteen point underdogs versus Ohio State, and they're uh, six and a half point favorites against Michigan State. So those are kind of all of their bigger games that have lines as of this moment.
0: And that's fair. I don't think that I can't sit here and tell you it's a foregone conclusion that Auburn and or Purdue upsets them. I just the gap is not big enough for me. I would flip a coin and either way it came out, I would be like, yep, OK, I understand it. I get it. I can see that happening. So I could definitely be wrong. And Penn State could reel off nine, 10 wins. I think that the second half of their schedule gets much, much easier. So even if they struggle with a loss or two early on, maybe they look long-term and say, look, we can win nine, 10 games with Sean Clifford because the schedule sort of eases up a little bit. They're they're a tricky team to sort of pin down, but I don't think I've been really bold in my predictions as we've gone through these previews. I'm willing to get bold or be bold with Penn State and, and peg them as a seven-win team.
1: Yeah, I'm just you know I'm if there's a team I'm going to be bold about. I don't think I'm I'm gonna gonna rely you know put my you know my hard earned cash on Penn State and not to you know per se, but you know it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. These are two you know Penn State and Purdue are both teams kind of on you know similar you know different talent wise, but similar. Whereas they're bringing back good defenses, but their offenses has a, a ton of question marks. Both of them have you know are experienced there residual?
0: Sorry, Gene, to interrupt. Are, I want to ask you another question, though. Do you think that there are like residual effects or feelings from the potential, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, James Franklin USC flirtation? Like, I get that he brought in this recruiting class and I get that he's got some experienced players, but it, it surprised a lot of people when Penn State inked him as early as they did, gave him this big, long extension. Do you think that? There are any, like, locker room issues as a result of that?
1: Um, I doubt it. You know, we don't know how much, like, Credence was into, you know, the rumors of him actually looking into the job. They did, you know, they gave him that huge extension. It seems like, you know, the people at at Penn State, you know, both players and fans seem to like him. So I I doubt there's any bad blood there. I just think that, you know, if at some point here you have to see – at least closing the gap between the bigger teams in the conference, if you're going to be able to justify, you know, that big extension they gave him. And if you're, you know, you're sitting here right now, you're a touchdown underdog to Michigan. You're a two touchdown underdog almost to Ohio state. I just don't know if that's, you know, improvement. I don't know if that's, you know, you're not bringing Penn state closer. You're bringing in all this talent, but the team isn't getting any better. And so at a certain point, you know, it's kind of my same gripe that I have, where I'm I'm kind of hit or miss on Ryan Day, where it's like at a certain point you have all this talent. If you're not winning games, and it's it sort of comes down to coaching. And so if you're not even being competitive Shots at this point, fired. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you're not even being competitive at this point with the two best teams in your conference or in your own division, even, um, I don't, I just don't, I don't get why they're so you know they're high on him. I get the recruiting successes, but it's not it's not playing out on the field to this point.
0: Yeah, I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill with the whole USC thing. Clearly, the administration um, you know, likes James Franklin, and he was able to bring in those recruits. Like I said, they didn't have any concerns about him being there. But you're right. I think that they've been treading water. They've been underwater, really, the last couple of seasons. And if they're only treading water and they're an eight- or nine-win team, are they a better recruiting Iowa at this point. I compared the two teams earlier, but I was doing more with less. So I think that's where you at least have some motivation or would get some motivation to question James Franklin and his performance and his ability and all of those things. But TBD, right? We're, We're doing previews in August. They could come out gangbusters drew aller takes over they hand the the ball off to singleton uh aller is able to throw it out to saunders and the wide receivers they've got so um just just too much to kind of sort through but i think that there are a lot of interesting topics and issues that can be discussed with penn state
1: yeah for sure you know so basically what we're saying is penn state is either going to win the national title in 2022 or they're going to go 0 and 12 um, and there is seemingly no middle, except for the fact that they probably will end up almost exactly in the middle of that. But
0: <laughs> I was going to say, or they're going to end <laughs> up in the middle.
1: Yeah, for sure. But I think, you know, I, I think that's more or less it on the on these two teams, you know, kind of we've we've reached the middle or I guess the upper half of the middle of the conference here. Um, You know, next week, we'll be looking at Minnesota and Michigan State, uh, both of which had, you know, somewhat surprising seasons, I think both in in, in different ways, Um, but you know working our way up to the to the top of the big 10 here. We only have a couple weeks left before the season starts. We're going to touch on those two teams. then we'll probably do Iowa Wisconsin together and then Ohio State Michigan together as kind of the the top two teams in each of the divisions as we move forward here. the Ohio State Michigan one obviously will be our, our last preview before the season starts of the big 10. but nonetheless I, I think that's really what we what we have this week. Josh you have anything else to to talk about on Penn State or Purdue before we kind of get out of here?
0: I don't, man. It's fun to talk ball again. We had a week off and like I said earlier, it's all starting to feel real. So uh, I really like digging into these depth charts, looking at schedules and things like that. I think it's going to be a good, interesting, fun Big Ten season. And now we're going to start talking about those upper echelon teams that may or may not challenge for conference supremacy. So it should be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, should be some really exciting stuff here moving forward as we get closer and closer to the season. Um, as we've done with all the previews, I will direct you, if you're looking for more information on either of these two teams, the Penn State SB Nation site is Black Shoe Diaries, and the Purdue site is Hammer and Rails. So for more you know, in-depth Whoa, info Did you say it,
0: Black Shoe Diaries? Yes, it is. So <laughs> I, I, I won't out myself, but that's a play off of a uh, like cable Skinamax show from back in the day, supposedly, that I've heard about. So props to the SB Nation team for Penn State. That's a really good name.
1: Yeah, I don't particularly understand it, but I, you know, I guess if, if you do, it makes sense to some people. Then, then I get it. The Purdue on hammer and rails makes more sense to me because they're, you know, the Boilermakers. They're doing all that that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, if you're, you know, if you're looking for more info on any of those te- two teams, definitely check out those two sites um, for more information. As far as we're concerned, you know, we'll have all the latest on on all the Ohio State goings on over at landgranthoyland.com. So be sure to check out all of our written content there. said earlier we will be back next week with another Big Ten preview as well as any you know big Ohio State news whether it be from recruiting or preseason camp whatever comes up we will be sure to to discuss it here on the podcast Um, but I think that's just about it so be sure to um, like rate view subscribe all that good stuff all the podcast asks you to do and for Josh Dooley I am Gene Ross and as always go Bucks.